When you guys be seated, I'm going to ask Will to come up and uh, give us his devotion this morning. Hello, everyone. Um, today, the passage I would like to go over is James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. <clears throat> and it reads, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this passage talks about um, <clears throat> divided loyalty, mostly division between wanting to follow God and following your own way in the world. And in verse, starting in verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we should not ask God for, or we should not hesitate to ask God for things that are good for us. God is a good father, and he knows how to give good gifts to his children. And so if you ask for something that's going to bring you closer to him, in your relationship with him, then you can be assured that he will give it to you. In verse 6, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So faith is a crucial component uh, for receiving the power of God. And it reminds me of the story of Peter when he saw Jesus walking on the water and uh, he asked uh, Jesus to call for him to come and to walk on the water with Jesus. And, and he, he did for a while. He was a normal human being who was able to walk on water, which was an incredible act of faith. But soon after, he sunk because he saw how bad the storm around him was and he lost his faith in Jesus. And he allowed the waves and the wind to toss him around. And so I think that is an illustration of the big difference that faith can make in our lives. If we have unwavering faith, God can work through us and achieve seemingly superhuman results in our lives. But if we have weak faith, then we're going to be pulled down by all the problems of this world and in this life. And we're going to fail in the predictable fashion that of this world. And in verse 7 to 8, it says, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So God is an all-or-nothing kind of being. He, 
He wants all of us or none of us. And when you're fully committed to something, that's the only way you're going to be able to achieve anything significant. It's like the example of uh, building a tower. Jesus says to count the cost before you build a tower so that you don't just end up building halfway and then you quit. Because if a half-built uh, tower or project is not useful to anyone, it would have been better if you never started in the first place. And so it talks about this double-minded man being unstable, meaning that he sometimes wants to live for God when it's easy, but then when it's hard, he runs to the ways of his world, of the world, or his own personal desires. And it's synonymous with being a lukewarm Christian. And um, that's something that the Bible teaches us is a very dangerous position to be. And so if we want to have a true relationship with God, we have to go all in. And we have to be willing to count the cost and to surrender everything to him all relationships, all material success, the, the praise of other humans. And what allows us to do that is it is, a, it is a superhuman feat to be able to do that, to lay down your life for a cause or for someone. And we can only do that through faith, the faith that God is, is worth it in the end. And what gives us that faith, I believe, is God is the one who gives us that faith, ultimately. Um, we have to constantly ask God for it, and, uh, and he will give it to us without reproach. And so later, soon you'll hear about um, the martyr Stephen from Sal, and you'll see what it's like to lay down your life for something and to really give, go all in and give all. And if that's something that scares you, then you should, um, I would exhort you to ask God to give you the wisdom, the courage, and the faith, all the tools that you need to, to follow him. Thank you. Amen. All right. We're in Acts chapter 7 this morning. And thank you, Will, for taking that ball for me. It was very fitting for our continuation in Acts chapter 7. The title of the study today is Stephen the Martyr, part 2. You guys remember where we were at last week, just learning about who Stephen was. Um, Kind of he enters the scene as there is this dispute in the early church. The uh, Hellenist Jews, those who were Jewish but with Greek culture, the, the widows there, they were feeling left out of the daily, daily distribution. And they were upset by this. And so they brought this uh, dispute to the leaders of the church. And they said, hey, we're feeling left out. 
Everybody is getting their fair share of daily distribution, but us who are of Greek culture, why aren't we getting the, the same? And so because of this, they said, okay, well, we need to focus on the word of God as priority in prayer. So in order for the needs to be met of the people, let's choose seven among us, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, of good reputation, who can help with this task that needs to be completed. And so as they went out to select these men, one of them was Stephen. He was the first one. And the Bible mentions that he was a man full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. And what is he called to do? He's called to wait on tables. Sometimes in ministry, we begin to think that the the high call for someone who is spiritual is the role of the pastor or the, the, the leader or someone who's in the front. But Stephen, this man mentioned in the Bible, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, takes on the task of simply waiting tables. And God used it. Stephen wasn't seeking the praise of man. We're going to find that out about Stephen's character. He wasn't seeking position. He was just simply seeking to serve. And then as Stephen was full of faith and of power, he began to perform signs and wonders among the early church, praying for those who were sick, having healing. And now the Jewish elders, they began to notice this man, Stephen, and word was getting around of what he was teaching and preaching based on Jesus Christ. And the Jewish elders, you remember, they were angry and they become so jealous of Stephen and his teaching that they began to charge him. They began to make accusations against him in order that they might find fault in him and kill him. That first accusation they had of him is they said that he was speaking blasphemy against Moses and God. And secondly, that he was speaking blasphemy against the temple, claiming that Jesus, whom he preached, was going to tear it down. Now, Stephen, before the religious leaders there, began to state his testimony, began to state his witness his defense. And Stephen used this as an opportunity to preach to them. Rather than to try to make a case of how good he was, he began to just give them the simple truth of Jesus Christ and of their history. And he began to confound the Pharisees with his wisdom. And you remember that they saw his face as the face of an angel. And as he began to preach to them, he gave them this sermon, this powerful sermon, which tells us that Stephen was a man who knew the word. Not only was he a humble servant, but he was a man who studied. He began to kind of school them on their forefathers, whom they were so proud of. He recalled, if you remember last week, we talked about how at the beginning of his preaching, he recalled the story of, of Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons. 
Remember Jacob, later his name was changed to Israel, and Israel was the father of the 12 different sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they held each of these men, each of the 12 sons, in high regard, the Jewish elders did. The patriarch fathers had these 12 in such a high regard. And then Stephen is reminding them, look at your 12 patriarchs. You remember Joseph, he told them? Joseph was one of the 12 brothers and he came to his family with this dream that he had that one day all his brothers and even his parents would be bowing down to him. He told them of this vision in a dream that he had and his brothers became angry and upset at this. And so they rejected this thought, this idea, this dream and they rejected Joseph and they sold him into slavery. Stephen was bringing this up to show the religious leaders, look, the guys who you held in such high regard, they, they made terrible mistakes. They were wrong. They rejected Joseph. And then later on, Joseph, after he was sold to the Midianites, the Lord would end up leading Joseph to becoming second in command next to Pharaoh in Egypt. And then when the famine would come to their land and cause the whole family to go to Egypt for food, they would end up presenting themselves before Joseph and actually bowing down to Joseph in respect, just the way that Joseph dreamed. Now the forefathers, the 12 patriarchs, the 11 patriarchs, as they rejected Joseph, they were wrong. And Joseph was revealed again the second time to them and the second time they actually received him. So the first, they reject. And then secondly, once he is presented, the second time they receive Joseph as their leader. Stephen was bringing up this point to the Pharisees. He's like, look at what your forefathers did, reject. And then Stephen went on to share on Moses. Remember Moses, he sought to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt but on his own, he murdered an Egyptian. And then the Hebrew people, they told Moses, Moses, who made you a ruler and judge over us? We saw you kill that Egyptian. And because of fear, Moses fled Egypt. And he went out into the Midian wilderness there in the desert. But you see the Hebrew people, they rejected Moses. Now remember, Moses was held in such high regard to these religious leaders who Stephen is preaching to. And the Hebrew people, originally they rejected Moses. And there Moses for 40 years was being prepared by the Lord in the desert till God appeared to him through the burning bush. And God told Moses, I want you to go to Egypt because I want you to free my people. I want to use you. And this is where we pick up on Stephen's discourse here in chapter seven, where Stephen is right in the middle of his teaching. So if you look at chapter seven, verse 37, Stephen continues to preach. He says this, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your brethren, 
him you shall hear. It's interesting the Jews this day are still waiting for a man like Moses to become their Messiah. They've rejected Jesus. And right now they're waiting for someone to bring justice and peace and restoration to Israel. Now the Bible teaches us that there is going to come a man who does bring peace there in Israel and Jerusalem. But at first we know this man is going to be the Antichrist. And it's going to be a fake type of peace where they're going to be able to have peace even though the temple is divided on one side the Gentiles and on the other side the Jews. And during the great tribulation in the middle of the seven and a half year period the Antichrist will rise up and he will stop the animal sacrifices that are going on and he's going to tell the Jewish people to begin to worship him. And suddenly the Jews, their eyes are going to be opened and they're going to realize that this man is not their Messiah, but is in fact anti-God, anti-Christ. And then the Antichrist is going to launch an attack upon the Jews, but God is going to protect them in what many to believe the rock city Petra. So a man like Moses did rise to bring salvation to the world. And that was Jesus Christ. But the Jews to this day, they're, they're blind to that. But God is not done with them. God still has his plan with them. So Stephen continues, he says in verse 38, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now see, notice how many times in his teaching he'll say, the fathers, our fathers. In verse 39, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. See, the forefathers had rejected God's leadership and they turned back to Egypt. And Egypt, it's always symbolic of the world. You see, they wanted a God that they could see immediately. They didn't want a God that was often to Mount Sinai. They wanted something, a golden calf. Look at verse 41. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Remphan, images which you have made to worship, and I will carry away you away beyond Babylon. Now remember, there in the wilderness, Moses had 
gone up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. But back at the camp there in the wilderness, Aaron and all the people, they were waiting because Moses was gone for quite some time. He was gone for 40 days in total. And they're like, we don't know what's up with Moses. He left. We, we don't see him. We don't know where our God's at. So they brought Aaron and said, Aaron, why, look it. Why don't you make us a God that we can worship, one that we can see? So then Aaron was like, all right, let's do that just to appease the people. So he gathered all the jewelry that people had, the gold, and they melted it all together and created this, this calf, this golden calf that they could worship. And then they had a big rave like Coachella and they were partying and having this crazy time. In verse 43, there's something that he mentioned, this tabernacle of Moloch. Moloch is one of the gods that the pagans worshipped. That in their worship of this god of Moloch, they would have this statue of Moloch with his arms outstretched, his hands out. And Moloch was the god of prosperity. So in order that they can have prosperity in their life, they believed that if they brought their firstborn child onto Moloch's arms, as they set Moloch ablaze, Moloch was heated up, heated up, and they burned their child alive. They believed that they would allow prosperity to enter into their life. Now this is terrible. This is chasing success and prosperity at the cost of the life of a child. And we see that today, many times with abortion, where people put their own success, their own prosperity at a higher regard than the life of an innocent child. And that's what the Israelites were doing. You see, they had the golden calf as an idol, but today we still have idols in our life. We have success, prosperity, money, fame, and glamour, materialism. All these things can be idols in our life, pleasure. And God has nothing to do with these things. He hates these things. You see, Stephen right here, what he's showing the religious leaders is that their forefathers chose prosperity and idolatry over the truth. And Stephen is recounting this to the religious leaders. In verse 44, our forefathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who God favored before who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. See, the Jews and the forefathers, they held the tabernacle in such high regard. 
Remember David, he desired to build a temple for God, but God told him, no, David, your hands, they're too bloody. But Solomon would go on to build David the, the tabernacle for the Lord. It says in verse 47, but Solomon built him a house. However, the most high does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Now remember, they're accusing Stephen of blasphemy against the temple. And Stephen, what he's doing is he's reminding them that God told David and Solomon that he never asked to be living in the house of cedar. God never asked for David and the Israelites, the forefathers, to make him a grand house. You see, because material things cannot contain the almighty God. And this is what they were charging Stephen of, of blasphemy against the tabernacle. Jesus told his disciples, he said, look, you marvel at this great temple. And one day I tell you that not one stone will be left upon another. There in Jerusalem to this day, when you visit the temple, there's a portion of the wall that's still left on Solomon's temple of the, of the wailing wall. But there's other portions that are completely just destroyed. And you look at where Jesus had told the disciples that not one stone would be left upon another. And in AD 70, the Romans came in and they completely abolished the temple. In verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now this is something that I love about Stephen is he doesn't hold back the truth. He gives the truth in love. He calls them out for them being stiff-necked, meaning that they were proud. They weren't humble. Uncircumcised in heart, meaning that their flesh was priority in their heart, in their life. Not the spirit, but their flesh. I'm reminded of how Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, hypocrites. He said, you look good on the outside, but inside you are like dead bones. Now, he also said something unique about the Holy Spirit in this verse. He said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And as your fathers did, so do you. Now, there are some believers who believe that once the Holy Spirit seeks to draw a person into salvation, that the Holy Spirit is irresistible at that point. They believe that you cannot reject the Holy Spirit. There are some Christians who believe this. But when I read this verse, what it tells me is that these Pharisees were rejecting the Holy Spirit. They resisted. 
And as I read through scripture, the Bible teaches me that I have free will, that I have the ability to reject the Holy Spirit. So God's grace, it's not irresistible. We can resist the Holy Spirit. And I think the lesson for us is to make sure that we are submitting to the Holy Spirit and his love when he calls us to do something in faith, when he asks us to serve, to wait upon him. Is there areas in our life where we are resisting the Holy Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit? Those convictions that we are putting aside and saying, oh, well, I'm okay, I'm saved. I don't need to worry about these, these certain sins. It's not leading me to hell. And what we do with our conviction, when we ignore it, we let our heart in that area go, grow calloused and hard. Where the first time you mess up in a certain sin, it's like, oh, I messed up. You try not to do it again, and then it becomes easier the second time. And then easier to do that sin the third time. And easier again to do it again the fourth. Until finally, you don't even have any more conviction about that sin anymore. Your heart is calloused. We need to ask God to keep our hearts soft. Moldable shape for him. So Stephen here, he's really giving it to the Jewish leaders. Stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, he told them. And verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Remember, they're accusing Stephen of disrespecting Moses. But these are the guys who killed the Messiah. And Stephen tells him, look, which of the prophets did your forefathers not kill? When you look into Jewish history and background, you find out that Isaiah the prophet was put into a dead tree trunk and they sawed that tree trunk in half while he was still in it. Zechariah was killed in the temple. Jeremiah was told by God not to marry anyone because he was going to have such a terrible time as being a prophet over Israel. And he was thrown into dungeons and then finally stoned to death. So Stephen's getting to this point now in his sermon where he's really trying to get across his main points. He's telling the Jewish leaders, look, your forefathers, they shot and they missed. They took a shot at Joseph and they got it wrong. They took a shot at Moses and they got it wrong. And now they're doing it again. They did it with Jesus and they got it wrong. They killed Jesus. And in each of these scenarios, in the case of Joseph and Moses, they rejected. And then later on, the second time when he was fully revealed, they received him. And there is going to come a second time 
when Jesus comes to this world, when the Jews will receive Jesus as their savior. And when they look upon Jesus, they're gonna see their scars that are placed in his hand. And they're gonna ask their Messiah, they're gonna say, who did this to you? Why do you have these scars? And Jesus is going to tell them that this was done in the house of my friends. You see, it was us. It wasn't just the Jews or the reason that Jesus' hands are scarred were the reason why he was pierced in his hands and his feet, a crown of thorn on his head, a spear in his chest, in his side. As for us. So though we might look at these Jewish leaders and say, oh, these guys were so messed up and so wrong, we have to look at ourselves. Are we following in those same mistakes and those same patterns? Look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. See the truth? It's, it's a sword. The Bible teaches us that the word of God is a sword, living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that's what they were experiencing here. They were experiencing that, that spiritual cutting to the heart. It says, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Have you ever seen people gnash with their teeth? They were super mad. And then in verse 55, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and so, said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Remember at the beginning of Stephen's preaching, he called God the God of glory. Now he sees the glory of God. Remember Jesus when he ascended into heaven after he was crucified, it, the Bible teaches us that he sat at the right hand of God. And there as he's sitting at the right hand of God, he makes intercession for us, he prays for us. He's the ruler of all. But notice that when Stephen sees Jesus at the right hand of God, Jesus is not sitting but Jesus is standing. And I believe Jesus is standing here for Stephen, the first martyr, the first blood that was shed for the testimony of Jesus. He's standing to receive Stephen, his son, as that first martyr, that first sacrifice. And I believe that one day when we enter into eternity, that Jesus is going to give us that same welcome, that loving welcome. And I pray that we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. In verse 57, and they cried out with a loud voice, 
stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. Now, look at the difference between the countenance of Stephen versus the countenance of the Jewish leaders. Stephen had this face of an angel, and he was calm, collected, he was innocent. But the Jewish leaders, they're gnashing their teeth, they're running at Stephen with loud voices, they're stopping their ears because they don't want to hear what Stephen is saying. And the difference between the two is Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. In our life, we're going to come against people who are hard to work with, hard to deal with, family members, friends, coworkers, loved ones. And sometimes we're going to be attacked. We're going to be attacked for all sorts of reasons. but we're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit so that when we get attacked, that we could be like Stephen, at peace with the face of an angel. Knowing that God is in control, knowing that God is using every situation to shape and mold us, that perhaps you are the only person in your enemy's life who is going to share with them the love of Christ. So when we're belittled for our faith, when we're attacked for trying to be godly, may we be as Stephen was, not trying to shove the Bible into people's faces and showing them their sin, but giving them truth with love. and knowing when to use both truth and love. You know, sometimes when I hear somebody call me out for something that's silly or something that's bad or something that's, uh, you know, I shouldn't be doing. If somebody says, oh, like, somebody becomes upset about something I've done, I remind myself that they really don't know how bad I am. And if they knew of all the terrible things I've done, they'd be way worse off at being mad at me. So, you know what? Just let them be. Let God take care of that situation. Because we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. And when I desire mercy and grace from the Lord... How wrong is it when I don't pray for mercy and grace in other people's lives? Look at what they do to Stephen. Full of faith, full of wisdom. It says in verse 58, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, this is insight into the beginning of the account of Saul, who later on was going to become Paul. Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. He'd become this great apostle later on. But right here, Saul is a young man, probably egging on the people to stone Stephen. 
And later on in Saul's life, when God finally gets a hold of him, when Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, Jesus tells Saul, Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? That phrase, to kick against the goads, it was this term that was used when the farmers, in order to move cattle or bulls, they would use these sharp sticks to prod the animal to get him to go in a certain line, to walk a certain path. And Jesus told this to Saul. He said, Saul, isn't it hard to kick against the goads? In reference to the Holy Spirit convicting Saul's heart. And Saul was trying to reject the Holy Spirit, trying to, trying to. I believe it's right here where Saul began to be, to begin this filling of this goad going against his heart, where he saw Stephen like the face of an angel. He heard what Stephen said and watched them murder Stephen. I began Saul. I, I believe that Saul began to feel convicted here. But that's just my uh, commentary on that. In verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen followed in the example of Jesus Christ. He didn't ask God to stop what was happening. He didn't ask God, don't do this. He simply prayed that God would receive him. And then he began to pray for his enemies. Just like Jesus when Jesus was there in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if there's any other way that salvation could come to these people, let it be done. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then when Jesus was on the cross, as they mocked him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing praying for the enemies. And that's what Stephen was doing. And that's what we should do. They say, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't understand. They don't know what they're doing. And when God sends a trial, when God sends a goal or an objective our way, and we meet some hard circumstances amongst it, May we ask that Jesus would receive us through it, all of it. Rather than kicking it against the goads, rather than fighting and, and whining the whole way through, may we just submit to the Lord's will and say, God, okay, whatever you want, however you want to do it, just receive us, we pray. So as we look at this story of Stephen, this account of Stephen, a man of humble beginnings, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power, brought before the religious leaders, accused of, of wrong saying, 
against the temple, against Moses. And he didn't cower in his faith of Jesus Christ. He didn't run away or hide or deny that Jesus was the one true God. He stood up against evil. He stood up against fear, against death. And that's because the Holy Spirit had empowered him to do so. This is why it's so important to have the Holy Spirit in our life. And we can't allow sin to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to have, as William was saying uh, earlier, just be fully submitted to the Lord, full commitment, so that the Holy Spirit can be with us that we could be open to receiving him fully, completely. And then as Stephen is giving truth to these religious leaders, he reminds them that sometimes we could be wrong. We could be so wrong in our thinking, so wrong in our beliefs and our ideas. And he's showing them through the scripture of where their error was. But sometimes the world's not going to listen. So Stephen, full of faith, submitted to the Lord, completely gave it his all and allowed his life to be a light to us today. So may we be a light to the world today. May we be people who are not afraid to share the name of Jesus. May we be people who are not afraid to tell people how good Jesus was to us this past week, this day. May we not be afraid to let people know that we're Christians. And may Jesus be Lord and Savior and ruler over our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Father, that you give us, Lord God, a new life. Father, I pray that you would help us, Father, to be bold as Stephen was. The face of an angel, Lord, still with truth, with love, telling people of what your son Jesus Christ did. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would continue, Father, to use this ministry, Father. Continue to fill us with your wisdom, your discernment, our God. And Father, who to speak to, where to go, Lord. I lift up this nation to you, our God, as we're still in this pandemic, Father. Would you bring, Father, your Holy Spirit upon your church? to be a light and witness in this time. Lord God, bless this day. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Next Sunday is Communion Sunday. So go ahead and uh, be ready for that.
Kings and kingdoms will bow down And every chain will break As broken hearts declare His praise Who could stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah He is roaring with power and fighting our battles Every knee will bow before Him Our God is the Lamb The Lamb that was slain For the sin of the world His blood breaks the chains Every knee will bow before The Lion and the Lamb Every knee will bow before Him Jesus' name, have a blessed week.